What does it mean to be tried, to be tested? I ask you this question to start off, uh, and I don't mean a test where you're asked to recall facts and figures. I don't mean to be tried in a court of law. I mean, what does it mean for you to be tried and tested by God? What does it mean when you are pushed to a point where you are afraid, where you are angry and sad? What does that mean? For some people in this, in this room right now, you might not have an answer for that. You might not think of anything right away. Right away. Hello. Okay. Yeah, no, that was that was my bad. Uh I know why people don't put it in their pocket now. Let me put it just back here. There we go. All right. Sorry. Just get back in here. For some people, when I ask, what does it mean to be tried and tested, you would think of something that's happening to you even right now. That you're going through a point where you're pushed to the very limits of your endurance, where you don't know what the future holds. And that's something that's very difficult. When I think of what it means to be tried and tested, what I usually think of is um, a few years ago, I sat with this man right after he had buried his wife. And I sat with him with the purpose of encouraging him. But I had no words of encouragement for him. This man had just buried his wife. He, they had been married for about 30 years. And he spent the last five months of those years staying with her as she died. And I didn't know what to say. What was I supposed to say to this man? Certainly he had just endured a trial that I couldn't understand. And so, not having anything to say, we just sat in a room quietly. And he was the one to say the first thing. He looked at me and he said, after a situation like this, there's only one thing that can happen. There's only one thing that you can do after a trial like this. You can either move closer to God or you can shrink away. This man, even though he had been through so much, even though I was there to help encourage him, he was actually challenging me. And this is what he said. He said, be prepared in your life to be tested. And when you are, respond in faith. Now, I don't know about you guys, but... At that moment, I was just petrified to think of how I would respond if tested by God in that way. If something were to happen to me in my life, if the thing that was most important to me, if I were to lose my wife, if I were to lose a member of my family, how would I respond to the testing that was this test by God? I don't think I would respond by faith. I think, to be honest, I would respond and I would be angry, and I would be sad, and I would do anything to prevent that from happening. But would I respond to that test with faith? Be prepared in life to be tested, and when you are, respond in faith. Those words, have I've been reminded of those very frequently in the past few years. And right now I place them, I hang them over this 
entire sermon as the main point as a proposition for this sermon that when you are tested in your life, respond in faith. But I also say this realizing that that's not natural. We don't normally respond to the test of our life in faith. And far too often when tested, we shrink away. And so how are we to respond in faith to the test of God? Well, we're going to turn to the scripture reading for today. It comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 22. It's verses 1 through 8, and you can find it on page 16 in the Pew Bibles. And as you turn there, just think, think back to this earlier question. What have been the trials in your life? How much has your life been shaped by tests? And as we read about the patriarch Abraham, consider his response to one of the most memorable and perplexing narratives in the Bible where he is tested by God. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose, and he went to the place where God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand fire and a knife, and they both went together. And Abraham said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, which is recorded and preserved here in this passage. And as we hear it today, as we study it today, I pray that the Spirit will work within us and that we would grow in a knowledge and an understanding of you and what it means to respond by faith in times of trial. So this passage begins with the phrase, after these things. And while this might just refer to the previous, um, I, I forgot to say amen, so prayer ended. Sorry. So the passage begins with the phrase, after these things. And this phrase could just refer to the events of chapter 21. But at this point, just since we find ourselves in the middle of a, of a story, it's worth taking some time and discussing the context and who the person of who is Abraham. What's happened in his life? So Abraham is first mentioned in Genesis 11. There, his name's not Abraham. You probably know his name is Abram. He had a wife, Sarai. Her name would later become Sarah. And then this nephew, Lot, who would always get in trouble. Um, and then early in his life, Abraham is called by God to leave his family, to leave his homeland, and to, to take up and just, to just go where God calls him. And God promises several times in Abraham's life to make him a great nation. And this takes Abraham from his homeland in Haran to Egypt, where his wife is almost taken from him, to a land in the Philistines where he, he digs a lot of wells. I'm summarizing here, but 
Um, a lot of things happen to him while he's with, around the Philistines. And then briefly to Hobah, where he rescues his nephew Lot, because, again, Lot gets in trouble a lot. Uh, then to Gerar, where his wife is almost taken from him again. So Abraham lived a very interesting life. One thing that you might see if you go back in Genesis and review the text is that Abraham traveled his entire life. He spent all of it wandering or sojourning without a homeland. And then probably another thing that's really interesting in Abraham's life is that he encountered so many people, so many rulers. We've already talked about two a little bit. Um, the ruler in Egypt, the ruler in Gerar, both tried to take his wife from him. Uh, uh, Abraham had a, a bit of a part to play in there, so that's an interesting story if you want to go back and read that. Uh, Abraham also encountered Melchizedek, the high priest, something that Jim talked about two weeks ago. And then in their old age, Abraham and his wife played host to angels. And probably more, most significantly is that Abraham made a covenant with God. A covenant with God that we, we mentioned a little bit before, where God would make him a great nation. He promised him a son, and uh, specifically a son through Sarah. And so that takes us right to chapter 1, right to the previous chapter, where after decades and decades of waiting, Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac. And so after these things, see, we, we come back to the text again. After these things, what happens? God decides to test Abraham. And let's be clear, Abraham had been through a lot in his life. He had traveled. He had been in the court of kings, in the presence of angels. He'd actually been tested several times as well. Um, probably one interesting tidbit was that Abraham was circumcised and he was 99 years old. That was undoubtedly very painful. And so after all these things, God tests Abraham. And really we should be saying God tests Abraham again. But this particular test is perhaps the greatest test in Abraham's life. So what do we see? How is God testing Abraham? What we see in the next part of verses 1 and 2 are the details of how, how God will, will call Abraham. to demand. He demands this great sacrifice from him. He demands it in faith. So just if you look back at the text, it does say, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, each additional phrase here, as God is just speaking it, especially these first three, just emphasize how important Isaac is to Abraham. Take your son, a son who was promised to you long, long ago and who was just delivered to you in chapter 21. Take him. Your only son, Isaac, again, this harkens back to something that happened in, in Abraham's life where technically Abraham had another son. He had Ishmael, but in chapter 21, they just cast out Ishmael. So Isaac is his only son, the only way that his line is going to continue. Take your son, take your son, Isaac, and then perhaps something that is a little redundant, the son whom you love. Now, I don't have children, not yet at least. But I would imagine that for a parent to be reminded that they love their children is just a little bit redundant. The son, your only son, whom you love. Take him and then do what? Here's the turn. Here's the test as God has put it to Abraham. Take him and go to the land of Moriah and do what with the son that you love? 
offer him up as a burnt offering. God just told Abraham to take the one that he cherished the most in his entire life and to kill him. That's what it means to be offered up as a burnt offering. So it gets pretty gruesome, but the details of a burnt offering, I'm not going to go incredibly in detail, but it, it involves killing the sacrifice. It involves burning them, destroying them. And what God is asking Abraham to do is to do that to his son. And so that truly is a great sacrifice. That's a test. That fits every description of a test that we could possibly think of. It is costly. It involves anguish, trepidation. It is difficult. What in your life would constitute such a test? What could God ask for you to give up that would matter as much to you as Isaac matters to Abraham? Now, certainly God has this right to demand a sac- to demand everything from Abraham. He gave everything to Abraham. And we know um, in First Peter that these trials and these tests, they serve a purpose, right? They, they're here to test the genuineness of your faith so that it results in praise and honor to God. But at the moment where you're asked to give up something this great, is that what comes to mind? If you were asked to sacrifice that which was most important to you, would you respond in the way that Abraham does? I would say that I would not. Um, That not only asked to give up that which I love the most, but to participate in it, I don't think I would respond the way Abraham does. Now let's go to verses, the next section. Um, It starts in verses 3 to 6, and we'll see exactly how Abraham responds. That in faith, Abraham responds with a great obedience. I'm going to read it again. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but I'll read it for our enrichment. Um, Beginning in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. So Abraham, in these verses, obeys God. God tests him and asks him to sacrifice his son. And what do we see? Nothing short of great obedience from Abraham. What specifically do we see? I mean, do we understand the details of this, of this story? First thing, he rose up early. He gathered all that was necessary to sacrifice his son. He cuts the wood that he will burn this offering with, with his own hands. And then he goes exactly where God told him to. He marches there for three days towards Moriah and sets his eye on this hill that God has ordained. All the while, his son is walking next to him. Can you imagine what kind of obedience that would take? Not only to listen to God and sacrifice something dear to you, but be intimately involved in that sacrifice to travel from your home to a distant place so that you could offer a sacrifice to God. 
And what happens when he gets there? He sets off the sun. And I don't think we should let the, the weight of this image uh, kind of escape us. Imagine in your mind, you're Abraham. You're the, the father of, of Isaac. And you set off with your boy for what is in your mind the last time uh, until you have to sacrifice him. And what do you do? You put the wood on his back. The wood that would consume him in fire. What do you carry in your hands? You take a knife and you take a flame. You take implements of death. I'm not a parent. Again, not yet. Uh, Jim Smith's not here, so I don't have to say that's not an announcement for anything. But um, I'm not a parent. I don't I don't necessarily presume to understand how a parent thinks. I think that's probably an experiential requirement to understand how a parent thinks. But I know that when I watch parents, that they love their children, that they care for their children, that when they see their children in danger, they'll run. That when they know that their their child needs something, they'll work hard to provide that. And so everything that Abraham is doing right now must work against every instinct he has as a parent. Instead of protecting his son, he has to take his son to sacrifice him, to burn him up. Can you imagine? I can't. But can you imagine how grieved Abraham must be? He's watching his son as he marches to obey God, to to deliver him up as a sacrifice. He's watching his son in the presence of all these materials that will end up ultimately consuming him. His son wasn't livestock. Our our children aren't aren't animals. Even the animals that we care about the very most uh, don't compare to our children. And Abraham is not this mindless drone. So why in the world would he obey God in this capacity? Why would he agree and participate in the sacrifice of his son? Why would anybody ever sacrifice that much? Now we move a little bit further into the next section. We'll see that Abraham has faith in God. And we need this part of the story in order to make sense of everything that happens before. Because clearly, just the father who is sacrificing his son for no reason is insane. There is no reason unless we understand what happens uh, in the rest of this text. And so just beginning in verse 7, see that Isaac asks his father, or calls out to his father and then asks him, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. Now the key to understanding the story is just, we just see a glimmer of it right here, that Abraham has faith in God, that God will provide a burnt offering. But forget for a moment, because you probably already know the next portion of this story, that God literally provides a ram so that Isaac does not have to die. Abraham has no way of knowing that right now. Abraham is going up on that mountain, saying to his son, God will provide. And we can look back and understand why Abraham is saying this. Because in the life of Abraham, God has provided. 
from where he called him out of his homeland to where he protects him in his wanderings, where he's blessed him and everything, and then ultimately where he's provided a son for him at a time where it was physically impossible for he and his wife to conceive, God has provided. And so Abraham speaks of a faith partially looking backwards, understanding that God has always provided what he needs in order to fulfill the promises that God has made, specifically to make Abraham a great nation. But then it's still very perplexing, because how is God going to make Abraham a great nation without a son? And so at this point, we might have to look a little bit forward. What is Abraham looking toward? And uh, actually, if you've if you paid attention, you would understand that in, in verse 5, in that second part of verse 5, Abraham had this belief when he spoke to his servants. He said, I, my son, will go up to the mountain and worship, and then we will come back to you. That's, all right, I want to, what's more detail about that? How, how are you going to come back with your son if you're going to sacrifice him? And so this is where we look really, really far forward. Um, if you would like, just turn for a moment all the way to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is a wonderful thing. This is uh, just looking in the text, verses 1 through 8 of Genesis 22, to be honest, there's not a lot. To, uh, there's not a lot said about Abraham's motivation. Uh, we don't understand, and because of that, the story is very confusing. We don't necessarily understand everything that is going through Abraham's mind. I feel comfortable saying that, as a father, it was very difficult for him to think about sacrificing his son. But then, what is he thinking while he's going through this? And we can look to the entire council of scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and gain this rich, under, richer understanding of what Abraham was thinking. So Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the whole chapter is definitely worth a read, but I'm just going to begin in verse 17. And so, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And, who had, and he who received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. So Abraham, by offering up Isaac, it's perplexing. How in the world is, is God going to provide uh, for the promise that he gave Abraham? And so just continuing in verse 18, of whom it said, Isaac will show, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And this is where we get the insight into what Abraham was thinking. He considered that God was even able to raise from the dead, from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. So at some point, as Abraham is being tested by God, he looks and he examines his history with God, what he has experienced, and he makes this bold statement in faith that I will sacrifice my son because I believe that God, if he demands this sacrifice, will be able to raise Isaac from the dead, even from the ashes of a burnt body, God would be powerful enough to raise him from the dead. And here we finally have this detail in Abraham's faith. That's something that perhaps uh, wasn't abundantly clear in the story from verses 1 through 8, was that Abraham believed in God and he believed in the resurrection promised by God. And that Abraham had faith in a God that was so great, he could even raise from ashes his son Isaac. And now... I think we could throw the word faith around a lot. 
And certainly culture throws faith around and says, it is very important to have faith. In fact, some people might say, that is enough, to have faith in something. Kind of very crucially in the story, it is not enough to have faith in just anything. Abraham couldn't just have faith in a God that wasn't powerful enough to raise someone from the dead. He had to believe in a God who delivered him from the hands of his enemies, that promised him uh, to be be that he would be a father of great nations, and and he had to believe in a God that was powerful enough to fulfill that even in the face of death, a God that could fulfill uh, the promises made to him even if it seemed like that was impossible. And so it's not enough to have faith, but you have to have faith. The object of your faith must be something that is great. And for, he, for Abraham, the object of his faith was a God who promised him, um, promised him a line that would continue and that he would be father of nations. And so Abraham reasons, uh, God can raise my son from the dead. But then we come to the end of the story, and you might be at a point where you're thinking, so Abraham and Isaac... That's a cool story. Abraham faced a very unique challenge by God. I don't, I don't think we'll ever face the same type of challenge that Abraham was posed. I would hope that no one in this room ever considers offering up their children as ritual sacrifice. I mean, that's just not a test that we're familiar with. And so if you think about Abraham you, and the story of Abraham and Isaac, you might come to the conclusion that it's just not that applicable. That the sacrifice that Abraham had to make is just something that you don't have to deal with. Um, And that the promises that God promised Abraham, that's also not something that you've heard or seen. God never appeared to you, or he never, um, angels were never sent to your door saying, you will have a son, and through that line, that we become the father of many nations. And actually, I would be inclined to, to actually agree and say that the story of Abraham and Isaac is in fact incomplete. That we cannot read the story of Abraham and Isaac and then be challenged in our life, be tested by God, and, and respond with, with the same faith that Abraham has. It would just be incredibly difficult to map on that situation with ours. But what is very important, what is very important to see in the story of Abraham and Isaac is that it's not just about Abraham and his son Isaac. On that day, when Abraham went up to the mountain, uh, we kind of give away a spoiler that Isaac doesn't have to die. On that day, a father does not have to sacrifice his son. On that day, a son does not need to be raised from the dead. But there would be a time where that was necessary. There would be a time where somebody would march towards Moriah. Um, it was known by a different name at that, at that time. It was the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And there would be a person that would march there and offer, him, offer himself up as a sacrifice. And of course, we speak about this as this is the story and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And for as much anguish as, as Abraham felt when he had to sacrifice his son, think about um, just how costly it was for God to offer up his own son as a sacrifice. And so Christ is given as a sacrifice for us according to the will of his Father. So that, And then he was raised from the dead, a fulfillment of this, of this promise that we just see foreshadowed in, in Genesis 22. Raised for the dead, for what purpose? Um, it wasn't just to show that, that God could do this, but it had a very specific purpose. Christ had to be raised from the dead uh, in order that those that believe in him could have everything that was promised, a fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham. So through Abraham, you're promised many nations. Uh, through David, promised a line that will never end. Through those commandments, you're promised salvation. You're promised righteousness. You're promised something that uh, wasn't attainable, just to put it back in terms of, of being tested when we're tested in our lives, that's something that, that we can't meet. And so if we fail the test, what's the alternative? Well, if we fail the test, the alternative is death. And it doesn't just stop at death. The alternative is judgment. The alternative is destruction. It is hell. And so when faced with that test, none of us could pass. Um, None of us could respond in faith. We needed something much, much greater. Specifically, we needed a sacrifice. We needed a sacrifice provided by God, and that sacrifice needed to be Christ. So, by yourself, approaching the challenges of your life by yourself, what, would, what is going to happen? Ultimately, we have to agree that if you approach these challenges, these, these monumental challenges, you won't respond in faith. In fact, you'll fail. But the great news of the gospel, the scandal of the gospel, is, as some of us put it, is that these challenges aren't something that you approach um, just blindly. And that you approach it with faith. Um, Abraham approached it with a faith and a promise, but you can approach it with faith in Christ Jesus. And if that is your faith, then you can be assured that you don't, the test has already been passed. Christ has paid that, paid, that, uh, paid that debt for you, has been a sacrifice for you. And all who place their faith in Christ will be saved. That we can meet challenges in our life only through faith uh, in Christ Jesus. And so, this might be still a bit difficult to, to apply, especially if you are someone who is undergoing trial right now. How is the story of Abraham and Isaac, the foreshadowing of, of Christ's death and sacrifice, supposed to help if I am undergoing trial right now? And so maybe the very first thing to, to recognize is that you have to just remember that God, as a father, sacrifice Jesus Christ his son for you and that that 
sacrifice was, was costly and it was done with a purpose, was to save you and to redeem you if you were to have, if you have faith in Christ. And nothing, no trial in your life will be able to separate you from that love that God had for you. So that application is just believe in that sacrifice. Remember that that was a great sacrifice and that it accomplished a great thing, which is inseparable, complete relationship with God. One that is perfect, one that is one that is never to be, never can be threatened. And then uh, another kind of application point would be that as we read through Scripture, you should be encouraged and have that be the basis of your faith. So your faith cannot be in the situation that you find yourself in. Your faith cannot be only as strong as the trial that you're facing or perhaps weak when you are in trial. Instead, your faith must be rooted in Scripture. Um, several weeks ago, there's a blog post that, that Chet posted on the, on, the, on the website or the Facebook page. And it says, why do Christians value theology? Why would Christians value Scripture? And the answer to that was that if you have no basis in Scripture, then you have no basis for your faith. And when you're challenged by trials you'll have nothing to fall back on. Why do you value scripture? Because it's the only source of, of our faith. And in fact, in scripture, it's revealed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the very object of our faith, which is Christ Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his future coming. And then perhaps this, this last, this more pointed um, point of application is that Christ died in order that we could face every trial claiming him as our savior. And so what, that actually requires something of us. So Abraham's asked to sacrifice his son. What are we asked to sacrifice as people who would claim Jesus, if you claim Jesus? Well, you're actually offered to, you actually demanded that you sacrifice a lot more than just the one whom you love the most, you're demanded to sacrifice yourself. Does Romans say? So to offer your own life up as a living sacrifice. This is only possible because Christ has gone before you, because God has sacrificed his son. And so this kind of leads me to the end of that story which I began with. Uh, I sat with this man. His wife had just died. And when he challenged me to be able to respond in faith to any test in my life, I was a bit afraid. I didn't know exactly what I would say to him or what I would do if I were put in that place. What would I do if, I were, if my very life were threatened uh, or the lives of someone that I, was, um, that I cared for? And so what this man did was uh, he pulled out the Bible that his wife had been using while she was sick. And he pulled out the Bible, and he held it there, and then he opened it up, and he pulled out this card, a little index card that um, his wife had used to write down her prayer request during her illness. And he gives it to me. Or he gives me one of these many index cards, and on the, on the index card it says, pray for Jason. What did I see? 
Um, the story was actually ends up not being about the man or, or about me, but it was about his wife, who when put in a trial where her very life was at stake and where she ultimately died, she responded in faith the entire time that she would pray earnestly, not just for herself, but for others, only able to do this because of the faith that she had in Christ. There was no other reason that would be possible with humans, people that are concerned about their own, their own safety, their own comfort. The only reason that she could write down on a card and pray for others, specifically she prayed for me as she was dying, that she has this great faith in a great God. And so maybe that will be encouraging to you. It's been encouraging to me over the years that even in this week, you face trials of various kinds as you are tested to the point where you don't even think that you can continue going on. Consider that in every trial, you could not only have faith and respond in faith, but you can cry out to God and to his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you. That's the only way that we can respond to trials in our life if you call yourself a Christian. And I just work every day trying to remember just how profound that is. Now let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the trials that you put in our life, for the work that you've accomplished in your son, and for his sacrifice. And Lord, I just, I just pray that that would be something that we remember, not only throughout this week, but throughout our lives. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit, for your, your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.